My name is Rachel Turner. The accent that you're hearing is Southern California, uh, having lived in this country for 16 years. So <laughs> nobody thinks I have an accent except my mom. Uh, and she's determined that I sound completely and totally British. So um, I don't know, kind of feels cool. Uh, I'm married to a British man. I have a little British eight-year-old. Uh, well, you know, he's American too, but you know. And uh, I now do, yes, get to go around and talk about uh, parenting for faith, I call it, but essentially the church being the church across all ages, not just for kids uh, and not just for adults. And uh, I wanted to start with a story. I have full permission to share this story. Just so you know, every story I share, I have permission uh, to tell. Um, my husband... Uh, really uh, is like woodland man. Uh, we lived in central London for a little bit and uh, that was difficult for him because there was no woods. He regularly will be like, I'm going to go sleep in the woods tonight. And I'm like, bless you. And he's like, bye. And he leaves <laughs> with like some raw bacon and that's it, you know, sort of. Uh, so I take him to central London. He's like, can I do that in parks? I'm like, I think you can, but I'm not, I think it's frowned upon. Uh, so... He is doing what he does. He's whittling. I don't know if you know what whittling is. You know, like a knife and some wood. I don't know what else he would do at 12.30 at night while binge-watching West Wing. So he was whittling at night. I had to get on an airplane the next day to go minister in Jersey, uh, which is, just so you know, not off the coast of Spain. That I did not know. So uh, I, I don't know. I didn't look it up. This has nothing to do with anything, by the way. But I thought in islands off the coast of Europe, my brain went Spain. So I packed like beach gear. Um, that was inappropriate. And so I show up like, what is happening? Um, anyways, so night before, I'm sleeping like a responsible human being. He is whittling away. And, uh, and the other thing you need to know about my husband is he doesn't do blood well. Um, and so like they made him sit down through the entire birth process. It, he, he doesn't do blood well. So um, at all. So he's whittling and I get woken up by my husband standing above my side of the bed, clutching his hand, going, I, th I think we need to go to the hospital. And, and I'm like, okay, but I know my husband. So this could be a paper cut. This could be <laughs> his thumb hanging off. There's no real, not sure. So I stand up to look at him and I'm, okay, peel his hand off. And it's a cut, but like, I would not say it's hospital worthy. Um, but he looks down and instantly goes, oh, oh, and faints completely. Bam. Now I am a good charismatic, so I know how to catch someone who's falling. So I leap into action. So I, I catch and fall. You know, you sort of do that sort of catch and pivot. Um, but I'm getting old, uh, just so you know, and I cannot just catch and pivot as well. So as I catch my falling husband and pivot, I feel a pop. Yes, see, we feel each other. And so now I'm holding this man when my back has gone. And so I sort of push him up against my body and slide him down, and just sort of down, because, you know. Got, I got skills, and I can, I can slide him down, and I just sort of, he's fine, so I just sort of leave him there, and I'm like, whoa, my back has gone. Have you ever thrown out your back? Do you know what I'm talking about? You've hurt your back in some way. Nobody raised their hand. You're freaking me out. Yes, okay, thank you. I didn't know how much explanation I had to do. Thank you. So, so we don't, oh, okay, so I'm okay. So I lay down, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, you're going to have to heal this. <laughs> woke up eventually. He was fine. Um, it's not like I was just like, Meh. he was, you know, he was okay. I told him, sure, go to the hospital if you want, but I think you're fine. He went anyways. Shockingly, they sent him home with no treatment. Uh, he was stunned. 
Sorry, I'm lost. Okay, so, uh, so I go, get on the airplane, and I wake up in the morning, and you, you notice how your body does not function when your back is thrown out. And if you've never experienced this, I'm sure you've known someone who does this, you have to walk in a certain way, which is sort of, you balance your top half on your bottom half, and then you sort of like, oh, 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 you sort of make oh, oh, noises, and you're trying to balance. You know, you nod at me if you know what I'm talking about. Yes, okay. So you're, you're walking, and you're trying to figure it out, and you're sort of standing up against walls and stuff. So I get on an airplane, I get off an airplane, I get to this place, and this is just me talking five sessions a day for three days. So the first, first day, I'm walking like this, and so I preach sort of like this, you know, like dangling, like this. <laughs> By the end of the second day, I'm like curled over and trying to completely hang so that my bottom half. Day two, I kid you not, I was like this on a chair. Uh, this was me, the whole three hour, a Bible, which I dropped on my face multiple times. And it was just, it was that. So day two, um, day one, they got a massage person to come to my house. <laughs> That was nice. Uh, it didn't help, but it was nice. Day two, they're like, this is kind of ridiculous and I don't know where this can go. And so they take me to a chiropractor. I have never been to a chiropractor. To be honest, I wasn't sure that they were real. Um, you know, sort of like, like acupuncture or something. So I, I don't know why. And uh, so I didn't think this was gonna do anything. They took me because like duty of care. And uh, so they take me and it's, if you've, how many of you have been to a chiropractor? Okay, how many of you have never been to a chiropractor? Okay, all right, so it's exactly like it is in the television program and movies. Like, that is not an exaggeration. They like, they get between your legs and your legs are like above your head and they're flipping you and twisting you and all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, bless him, he's trying so hard. I mean, it's not gonna do anything, um, but bless him. So he's trying to try to try to try. He's pulling me, he's pushing me. And at some point, he says, stand up, try it. And I stood up and I'm like, it still hurts. I'm so sorry. And he's like, all right. He puts me back down, pushes me around. And at some point, he says, stand up again. And I felt this pop. And I stood up. And I went from extreme pain to like, wow, this is amazing. Because to be honest, I didn't want to go to the chiropractor. I had gotten used to walking like this, like this. This became normal to me, you know what I mean? Like, I got my thing. People are like, do you want me to carry your stuff? And I'm like, no, no, it's fine. I got it. It's fine. And, and I just, this, <laughs> I was like, I could do this for the rest of my life. This is totally normal to go downstairs like this. I can, I can hang on. I had become so comfortable with my brokenness that I didn't even want to go to the chiropractor because I thought, I've, I've got it. Once I was like, oh, look, I can move again. I remember what I had. I go in on the next day, like, hello, everybody. It's great to see you. And everyone's like, Jesus heals. And I'm like, no, 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 Dr. Singh's amazing. Um, which was slightly disappointing for them, but um, fine. Um, I had gotten so used to that disconnection. And yet, when I got the healing, I was like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe what I was missing. And as I was praying, about it while well, I was talking to God about like, chiropractors are amazing. We should start ministries of chiropractice. Chiropractice? Chiropractorness. <laughs> People with chiropractors, we should send them around. And I was like, I was interceding about this to Jesus. Uh, and he said, that's like my church. Because what the doctor told me was that my pelvis and my spine had become dislocated. And I was actually literally balancing the top half of my body on my bottom half. And I had been walking around dislocated from my body and I couldn't do very much. 
And I began to look around our churches and think, our body of Christ is together. We have older generations and younger generations and us in the middle, and we, we have all of these generations side by side. But what God's been talking to me about is we're not quite joined up yet. When we're dislocated from each other, we can't do all the things that God has asked us to do. God has made the body so that it is aligned so that I can lift with my back and lift heavy things. I can run, I can do things when my body is all joined up. But when my body was dislocated, I could barely move. I was still a body, but I wasn't functioning the way I was designed. And I believe God has something powerful, something wonderful for our churches. When we have children alongside, adults alongside the older generation, we are lined up and locked into each other. We can see the world changed because we all have access to different parts of need. We all have access to different parts of heart. And if we can figure out how to walk shoulder to shoulder, side by side, linked up, we are going to see God pour out in a way that we haven't seen before. And so I just wanted to look at this because this isn't a new idea. Um, but when this goes wrong, something bad happens. And I, I, I'm always, Judges always scares me. I don't know when you read the Bible. Judges always scares me because I'm like, that's me. I'm sort of like, Jesus, I need you. And then he comes and does stuff. And I'm like, thank you so much. And then I forget about it for a while. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, I'm in a really tough state. Jesus, come help me. Uh, and at the beginning of Judges, Judges 2, um, they're talking about this. And Judges is when, after the Israelites came out of Egypt, hurrah, messed up a bit, had to wander around for a long time, uh, and God worked on their hearts. And then they finally get to come in to their home in the promised land. Hurrah, we conquered it. Oh yeah, we're in charge. We're in charge. And now we're settling in. And in Judges, they've sort of started to settle in. And this one verse really messes me up. Judges 2.10. Joshua, the guy who led him into the promised land, um, died at the age of 110, and they buried him. And then verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, that generation that got to like come into the promised land and see God kick down the walls in Jericho and all that. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. One generation got disconnected from another generation, and it caused the fall of an entire society. And that, that scares me, because just the generation before, God did, like, amazing, one parting rivers and, and causing walls and causing armies to kill each other so that the Israelites just sort of showed up and was like, what? God did so many amazing things, and yet their children completely walked away from him because there was a disconnect. I'm always fascinated with what could have the Israelites accomplished had that disconnect never happened. And I look in there, and in there, there are these two sort of keys. It says, one, I'm finding it, I'm finding it. scanning, scanning. The generation, they neither knew the Lord, which means they hadn't experienced them for themselves, nor what he had done for Israel, which means they didn't have the stories. They didn't have the experience and they didn't have the stories. And if we are going to raise a generation that knows God, they need those two things. 
And when we look throughout all of Scripture, where did children experience God? Most of the time, side by side with adults as part of the big old crowd. If you think about the Exodus, children weren't like in their own little kids group doing kids Exodus, uh, which... (laughs) which probably involved more craft. I mean, they, just, they were just part of the group following a big pillar of fire, leaving. They were there for all the plagues. They were there for all the stuff. They were there watching God come down from the mountain. They were there for all of it. They were there when Jericho's walls were knocked down and they entered into Israel. They were there for all of that. You skip forward a bit more into the kings. There was a time where there was a big Sennacherib was coming up against and was gonna kill a bunch of people. And, uh, and King Jehoshaphat was like, okay, Guys, this is serious. Gather everybody and children and adults and young people. Everyone came forward and they all stood before God and said, God, what are you going to do? And scripture said they all fell on their faces. Babies and children and adults all fell on their faces and waited for the word of the Lord to come. And he prophesied into the middle and he saved them. When Nehemiah and Ezra rebuilt Jerusalem, it says in scripture all over and over, these children were building the walls side by side with these adults. When they read scripture, they all wept. Children and adults and old people all together wept together. Um, Jesus taught people on the hills. There wasn't like Jesus and then Bartholomew was running his own crash corner. Uh, They didn't have children's ministry separating off the kids. Jesus just taught people and they were all together side by side. When Paul writes to the, um, the letters, you know, he talks about children, obey your parents. He wrote to children because he knew they would be in the room. They were all gathered to hear the, the teaching of the prophets and they were a teaching of the apostles and he knew that children would be in the room amongst them all. Throughout scripture, we see side by side, adults and old people and children experiencing God together. And our kids need that now. They need to not just be around us when it's targeted at them, but they need to be around us experiencing God together. I have, I, um, I've been involved in church leadership for 15 years and, and I did a lot with, uh, with New Wine in terms of children's ministry and I can get 800 children weeping before the Lord and worshiping wholeheartedly, authentically. Uh, that is something because God is faithful and wonderful and they will respond to him but there is something powerful when those kids are alongside grandparents and people that are just from their church and side by side because when you have a a nine-year-old worshiping and they open their eyes and they look up at somebody who they've seen every day at church for the past 20 years meeting with God and weeping before him they go this is what I want for me this is my future this is my now this is my community they see it because we are around them they need to experience it alongside of us if we want to see kids grow we need to give them that side-by-side experience in two different ways, parents and with us. Um, uh, My husband took us uh, kayaking, uh, because you can tell I'm an avid kayaker. Uh, (laughs) We were visiting my parents and he wanted to go kayaking, because that's what you do. And for some reason, they let me have my own boat. Why would you do that? I have no experience of this. But I thought, this is how I'm gonna die. I'm gonna drown on a river. And so they put me in a boat and they gave my husband a boat who did ocean kayaking at Aberystwyth when I met him. So he's like, flippity flip, 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 flip. So we get in this boat and we're going down, well, I get my boat, he gets his boat. And and I begin to think, my husband is very strong. Like, this is surprising because we're going down the river and I'm like, (laughs) you know, like, like working so hard on this kayaking thing. And I look over at my husband who's like, flip flip but he's like speeding along and I'm like my 
my, my dad says my husband has buggy whip arms. Like, like he's very, like, he is not this large muscular. How is he so strong? And I'm like, what is going on? So after an hour of me, like, sweating like a pig and exhausting myself, and my husband, like, four miles ahead of me, he's like, I don't know why you're not in the current. I'm like, the what? <laughs> I was so mad. Uh, the current? Evidently, there's a thing called a current in a river that's very narrow, and if you find it, then you can, like, just get floated along. And <laughs> thanks, husband, after an hour. Uh, and he was like, I just want to respect your choices. I'm like, well, thank you. I feel... <laughs> um, so, what are we talking about? Yes, and the kayaking. And when I finally find the current, I was flying. And I find so often we value our kids. We want to... We want to to bring them in and do that. And we, we sometimes feel like it's super hard work, but there is a current, there is a flow of bringing up the next generation that is easy and light. And it starts in Deuteronomy. It starts God saying this. Often we feel like, like once you put kids in the mix, then it's just like so hard. But God says this, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your strength. And you're like, yes, God. Um, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And I, as a church minister, and we, as a church body, don't have access to a lot of those places. I don't get to climb into your homes and be like, morning, children. Or sit at them at night or stand in the grocery queue with them while we're waiting to buy something. I don't have access to that. God's first place for children to be discipled is in the ordinary, boring bits of the everyday while you're walking along the road and while you're sitting at home because that's where God is. He is in the ordinary, boring bits of broken life, and he resonates in that. So when we are tired, exhausted, grandma has cancer, and we are just at the edge of everything, and we are crying in the car, and our kid's like, what's happening? What they don't need is us to be like, Jesus is great and good. He's okay. It's going to be fine. What they need us to say is, I am broken, and I am tired, and all I'm doing right now is just crying at God right now, and he's holding me, okay? So I just need you to wait like 30 seconds while God holds me, because then he kisses my heart and makes it better, okay? And we do that because God, our children, all of a sudden see the reality of God in a life, and that's what they need. That's why parents are the primary disciples. Not because you have to do more church at home, but because you get to say, this is what, an, this is what a, the life with God looks like, and you can have that too. Do you want to try? But parents are not on their own. They are there. And then the scripture talks about this oikos, this household of faith. And we as a church community are the support that slams around parents because we, they are not just raising their children and we're waving at them. We are the community, the people who resonate with them that say, you are our children and we want to be with you too. And so our children not only need to come alongside of us, but they need our stories. They need you to be you to let them be in your space and for you to be authentic in front of them. Um, my, my, um, my home group was all adults and I have an eight-year-old and I was like, I really need him to like, 
I only have one experience as a parent, and I have all this beautiful people in this room with all these fantastic, wonderful experiences, and they're so valuable to me. And so I wanted him to experience it. So I talked to them and I said, would you be willing for my kid to join our home group? And they were like, well, we talk about some pretty deep stuff in here. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly why I want him to join our home group. Uh, and I said, I want you to change absolutely nothing about it. And they're like, all right. So, <laughs> so he joined. And so we were going around telling our stories. And so they're telling stories. So I was on drugs and I was having sex with everybody. And, uh, and, and my kid's like, <laughs> he looks like... Like, we'll talk about it later. And he, and he listened, but you know what? He changed radically by hearing 20 people's stories of where God was and their pain and their drugs and, and where God came through that and, and how he was faithful through cancer and how they felt when their dad died and how angry they were at God. The conversations I have had with my kid because the body of Christ was the body of Christ in front of him it has been life-changing. When I was a kid, I... Um, I had this church and this one guy, George, who was 92, he always let me sit with him no matter what he did. If he was on the money counting rota, he would be like, you want to count money? I'm like, who does not want to count money? I'm going to count money. So I'd be like 10, on the, I'd be the fourth count, counting money with George. And, uh, and, then, and then he got uh, prostate cancer and he started to die. And so what he did was he began to send messages every Sunday to church and, and little notes to me saying how he, was, how he was feeling and what he was doing with God and how God was talking to him. And I got to see up close the heart of a godly man who loves God dying and what that looks like. So last year when I got cancer, the word cancer entered my, my world and I thought, this could kill me. I know how to do that. Because George let me see what it looks like and what's coming. And I not once was fearful, one, because God was faithful, but two, I had a saint who let me as a child into his life so that I could see what it looks like going ahead. And therefore, when I hit cancer, I laid in the bed with my kid and I said, this may kill me and this may not kill me, but no matter what, you and I are going to dance in heaven for eternity and I just may get there a bit earlier or we're going to see God heal me and it's going to be great. But... God is faithful, and I got to tell him the same words that George gave me. And if he ever faces that, my kid, he's going to tell his kids and his kids and his kids because one man was faithful, and I was in his life. You are needed by this next generation because I don't want us to stand before God at the end of eternity and say, we were a body, we were just dislocated, but we did some stuff. You know, I could do some stuff with my hands when I was dislocated. We need each other. You are needed. You may not have children. That's okay. Your stories are needed. Your openness is necessary. Because my kid may not know. I may not be a dyslexic scientist, but I can guarantee you someone in this room might be. And my kid is dyslexic and wants to be a scientist. And if someone walked up and said, you have a great future in front of you, and this is what it looks like, and this is how I negotiate it with God, it would change his life. Every one of us is needed. Your stories are needed. Your journeys are valuable. So please, if we want to be the body of Christ, achieving what God has for us in this nation, open your spaces to allowing children and young people to come in and be willing to share your stories. If you're a parent and you want to know more about this and figure out what are the skills that I need to help my kid hear God's voice and all that stuff, there are books available that I've written. There's a website. Come to the training day on March 17th. Yep. yep. Um, 
But also, if you're not a parent and you're like, I actually feel called to do this with the kids around me. I'm an aunt, I'm an uncle, I'm a godparent. I have kids that are part of the home group. This is important stuff. Come and learn to be powerful. Because there are kids out there who need a family of people who see them, who are willing to let them into their life and who will share the vulnerable bits of their heart so they can own the vulnerable bits of their heart and walk every day with God in the ordinary bits of life. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you. I thank you that you put us into a body that is supposed to function. And there are newer bits of our body and older bits of our body. And God, I thank you that you want us to be aligned and locked together, that we may be effective for your kingdom, that we may give life to each other, that we may hear each other well and see new bits of you that we've never seen before. And God, I thank you that you have blessed this church with kids and young people and that you have blessed this church with older generations who have such wisdom and experience. And so God, I pray that you would be our chiropractor and, and pop us back together. Show us where we can link arms and link shoulders where our voice is necessary and needed. I pray that you would highlight young people and children that we can give our faces to and smile at them and share our stories with them. God, I pray if there are parents in this room that you would make them bold to be authentic with their children. Make them bold to, to have conversations and ask funny questions and go on this journey of being the, the primary person that is present in the everyday ordinary bits, that they may bring their kids in connection with you in those ordinary bits of life, that they may be transformed. And God, teach us to be the community that owns our young people and children and says, we are for you, we are with you, we see God in you, we need you to be a part of us, we need your ministry, we need you to be the fullness of you because I learned from it and you have a great future now. I pray that our children would turn their hearts to us and we can turn our hearts to them, that we may be the body of Christ here. I just really have a sense um, just in my spirit that there's a lot of people who have felt unneeded as part of this community. And I just want to say that's a lie. You are needed, not just by younger generations, but by other people. You are never too broken to be valuable. And I just feel that right now God may be just reminding you of, of children and young people in your life that he just has a specific grace for between you two who need you. It may be a neighbor, it may be your own children, it may be your sister's children, it may be anyone. But I just feel that I'm just going to ask God to remind us of, of the children and young people who need us in our lives. And now God, I pray that you would write those on our hearts. 
Teach us how to be the generation that encourages them, that gives them experiences with God alongside of us, and that we can tell stories too. That we may see generation upon generation upon generation know and love you. And that we may see our communities transformed because a fully functional side-by-side body of Christ is on the move. In Jesus' name.